Coming up on episode 66 of the Hangtime Podcast, Grantland's Jonah Carey comes on to continue a Twitter debate about Chauncey Billups with Lang, jazz broadcaster Matt Harpering joins in to weigh in on the Blake Griffin-Kevin Love debate, and I've got a theory about Shaq and Kobe. Am I crazy? You'll find out on... Welcome to this week's play-by-play of the Hangtime Podcast. Joining us now is Houston Rockets head coach Kevin McHale. i tell you what, for Vikings fans... Green Bay playing the Bears is like, do you want to get hung or do you want to get shot? With your host, Galliop Anderson, stops it down behind his head. Seku Smith and Lang Whitaker. The NBA's executive vice president of basketball, Richard Stu Jackson, is joining us now on the podcast. I wanted to ask you, Stu, the players see you coming, do they get out of the way now? No, the worst thing that happened to me was uh, caller ID. Sports editor of the nation. Dave Zyron. Only the Knicks for $100 million would sign somebody with one eye and two microfracture surgeries. But shut my mouth. He's our most important New York Jew since Woody Allen. Now it's time for the tip-off. Ah, greetings, Earth creatures. Thank you, Smith, <laughs> from the Hangtime blog at NBA.com. Lang Whitaker in New York on the couch, rubbing the dog's head and uh, drinking uh, sweet tea. Co- coffee today. I'm trying to stay awake. <laughs> <laughs> like a hard drill in the booth. Uh, gentlemen, welcome to yet another week of fun and uh, foolishness here on the Hangtime Podcast. Uh, we're at the, we're, we are officially at the quarter pole yes, of the NBA season. Quarter pole, my friend. And uh, I must admit, the surprises are, you know, and the standings are, are definitely something to look at. Uh, the Western Conference, I don't know if you've cruised this thing today on NBA.com, Lang. But uh, Denver, the Clippers, the Spurs, Utah, Portland, Dallas, and Memphis round out the crew in the West after Oklahoma City. Tell me, you know, tell me that two through six aren't, aren't kind of surprising to you. Totally. Yeah. I mean, look, two and three, Denver and the Clippers would have home court. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think – uh, Utah and Portland are a surprise. Dallas being seven is a surprise. Yeah, um, it's almost as surprising who's not in contention. Yeah, um, the Lakers, the um, Suns. You see my struggling. Grizzlies. Yeah. What about, about my Grizzlies? Grizzlies? Um, by the way, I was, I was watching your, uh, your your little show on NBA TV yesterday. Little show, huh? Is that, is that, what, the, is that what the people on the beat? Don't, calls yeah, don't the name it or anything. Don't give is it. Is that Is that what the peop, Is that what somebody on the beat calls the jump? That I just can't. Show? I just can't remember the name. It's, <laughs> that internet show you guys do. <laughs> I was watching it yesterday, and they were talking about uh, when Sean was on. Sean Powell was on. Yeah, they were talking about um, Portland and how well they played this year, and. And Sean said, you know, pretty. they brought up Odin, and Sean said pretty much everyone thought uh, oh, Odin no. should have been the number one pick. And I was waiting for you to <laughs> pipe up from over on the side. Not everyone thought that. <laughs> Somehow I forgot about you and, and your little show that was on Monday that I didn't watch. How about that? Uh, <laughs> uh, that, that was a good point, though. Uh, the consensus – about Odin is is I think is overstated. Uh, there was definitely, I definitely remember there being a a, a robust debate about it. You know, in yeah, basketball circles, I, I think there was a healthy was, argument, but but there was a there was a pretty good consensus that yeah that yeah. I mean, but I think there was a better debate amongst the media than there was 
you know, amongst basketball people even. You know, because most basketball people are going to kind of walk the line of, hey, you know, you take the big man, you know, first and foremost because it's harder to, you know, get your hands on a, yeah, on a, you know, transcendent big man, which well, a lot of people thought he was. Well, look at the whole Marvin Chris Paul thing. I mean, as much grief as the Hawks oh, got, here's you know, with his reasonably so, I mean, every Hawks. other team would have taken Marvin, and some people thought he was going to take him number one. I couldn't hear you, Micah. He's, he's, he's doing his Hawks ditty again about I'm Marvin. Just, just let you, it go, I'm, I'm Micah. I'm agreeing with you, Seku. I'm saying that they always go the big man. When yeah. Marvin, and they always go potential. When Marvin Williams was up in the draft against Chris Paul and everyone pillared the Hawks for it, rightfully so, obviously. But <laughs> any other team at number two would have taken Marvin, and there was a lot of teams that, that if they had been Milwaukee, would have taken Marvin. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, I, I just think – I just think that a lot of people have a little uh, revisionist history when we start talking about some of these past drafts. Unfortunately for us, Lang, I can go back and see what I wrote, uh, you know, <laughs> prior to every draft. So, you know, I will refer to my uh, record like any good candidate would and say that uh, while I, I predicted they would take Marvin, uh, I predicted they would take Sheldon based on my intel. Uh, and some of those other draft gaffes they had. I didn't necessarily endorse it. I just said this is what I believe is going to happen. Right. Um, well, I, I and I was and I was drinking Marvin Kool Aid like everybody else. You know, I went up to Chapel Hill and spent a couple of days up there before, you know, long before the draft, like just to watch him work out and stuff. And I was I, I saw the potential too. I mean, the kid was, you know, he was oozing with talent. But uh, I I also said that I, I said I was on the record saying if it was me and I had to pick between Odin and Durant, I would take Durant. But I also said uh, that I thought Greg Oden was going to be an all-pro yeah. player for the next decade. Right. So, I mean, I, that wasn't an uncommon thought either, you know. So. Yeah. Well, and, and he's injured. I mean, there's, you know, who's to say if he wasn't hurt, he might not have become that. I think it's – with Oden, it's just so hard because you, it's an incomplete, basically. If he played all those years and was just a stiff, then it would look even worse. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean – on on that same subject, guys, uh, extension time for a lot of players around the league. Kevin Love, uh, it's come out today. I think I don't I don't think we're breaking news here um, that his extension is in the books. Danilo Gallinari, anybody surprised that uh, the Nuggets are, are signing him to an extension? Um, I'm not. I like I like Gallo's game. Um, I agree. And I I don't think they're paying an exorbitant amount you know, in an extension for him. I mean, four years, $42 million, I think it is, is the, yeah. is the number I saw, which to me seems like pretty good money for a player of his abilities. Um, you know, good investment. And talk about him needing a mulligan. All those people who were bashing uh, the Nuggets front office when Masai Uhiri and, uh, and, and Young Kroenke took over. Pretty good pretty good work by those guys on the court. Mm-hmm. And uh, – and and then their other business they're handling right now. So very interesting to see before it's all over, you know, what other extensions get finalized and and who doesn't more than, you know, the trend I think lately Lang has been a lot of teams taking flyers on some of these young players and letting them become, you know, uh, free agents and, you know, restricted in most cases, obviously, but letting them become free agents instead of, you know, instead of committing long-term, you know, big money to some of these guys, does that surprise you at all, or you think that's just a sign? I, of the I was time? just, I was just thinking about that. What do you feel about it? To me, it seems like it's, it's kind of smart business. Um, 
I guess in some ways it's a, it's a good idea to, to let the market set the price for the person. Yeah. Um, if it's a guy that you're not going to max out or, or pay a, a ton of money to, um, maybe that's a good way not to get tied in forever to, yeah. to some contract, you know? I think it's just, uh, I think it's just the nature of business nowadays in the league. Um, and speaking of business, we were, as always here at the Hangtime Podcast, we're on the uh, cutting edge of what's happening. Two weeks ago, we brought you our Washington edition, where we discuss Flip Saunders' job security before his time ran out in Washington. He was fired yesterday. Um, we 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 wore the subject out, Lang, but uh, I think we would. I think we were on the money you know, in our discussion about it and, and saying that, you know, his time was going to be limited out there. So that's another piece of news to, to throw out there for people today. Well, also speaking of business, um, <laughs> we have a guest coming on now who knows a lot about business and who was giving me the business on Twitter. Um, <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, we got into a, a discussion about Chauncey Billups, but um, coming on with us now, Seku, is Jonah Carey. He's a writer for Grantland.com. He's written for... Lots of other people. He has a book, New York Times bestseller, The Extra 2%, which came out uh, last year. And uh, I think he's on with us now. Jonah? Lang, how are you? Thank you. How's it going? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm excellent. I'm actually sitting here. Well, I'm about to rip on Chauncey Phillips. This is not a joke. I moved to Denver <laughs> last week. I live in the neighborhood of Denver where Chauncey Phillips grew up. Oh, wow. For all I know, his childhood house could be around the corner for me, and I'm about to rip the guy, so there you go. <laughs> what, what, is Actually, your, well, what is your beef with Chelsea? He's a chucker. <laughs> That's the easiest way to say it. He's a chucker, and it worked earlier in his career, and it's not working now. I mean, you know, the whole Mr. Big Shot reputation, I think, was already a little bit overblown back in the day. But uh, at this point in his career, it, it doesn't make sense for him to be doing this. And, and uh, I mean, he is a little older. He has suffered the injuries, and I, I just think you just watch the guy, and he's a diminished player. He's shooting 34.5% from the field if you want to go in that direction statistically, but you just watch him. And sometimes, you know, playing at this point, but sometimes he'll shoot when the shot clock is winding down, and he'll always have a three because he's got to save his club. That happens. That does happen. But I'll see early offense, too, where he'll come down on a one-on-three, he'll pull up and take a 19-footer with a guy in his face, and he'll miss, and there's nobody to rebound. And it's just he doesn't strike me as – doing things intelligently when I watch him this year. And I've watched quite a bit of quite a few Clippers games this year because they're obviously a fun game to watch. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. And I agree with the, the, the Mr. Big Shot name is probably a little um, – it's probably living on reputation a little bit at this point. But I also think, you know, he, I think he shoots second most free throws on that team, so he gets to the line a lot. Um, and I think what he brings to the team maybe is not always measured in percentage or is that is that too much of a cop out for me to say that? <laughs> well, I mean, you guys are the NBA experts. I mean, I watch the NBA. I write about it very occasionally. So you know, it is hard to say. And I, I will say this: in baseball, when people put forth the argument about uh, clubhouse leadership and all that stuff, I tend to be a little bit more skeptical. Basketball, it's there because, for what it's worth, you know, you watch basketball. I mean, how I played, I'm not even good, but I played my whole <laughs> life. And if there's a guy who is Jaking it, it's going to kill your team. If there's a guy who doesn't rotate on defense and just lets the guy go right down Broadway to the lane, you're screwed. If there's a guy who doesn't set a proper screen, you're going to get double teamed in a second. If there's a guy that doesn't box out, you're going to get hammered on the boards. And that's all effort. This is all effort stuff. Baseball is 
guy throws the ball, guy hits the ball. You know, you can make an argument you run to first hard or you don't, but that really doesn't matter very much. That doesn't make much of a difference. Basketball is absolutely an effort sport, and, and by extension, you could argue that it's a chemistry sport. I mean, if you're playing with whatever, a guy you don't like or a guy you think is, is ruining your team or something, you might not be as motivated as you would be if you're playing with someone that people can rally around. I can't mm-hmm. verify that Chauncey Phillips is the guy that you rally around, but if you <laughs> want to argue that that exists in basketball, and I do think it does, then it's possible that Chauncey Phillips brings that to a team. Well, you know, it's funny, uh, and I don't know how much you watched Chauncey when he played for the Pistons, but he, he plays a similar style now, but it's clear – and, and Lang, I'm sure you know this. It's clear that he's not as sharp at it as he once was. He's also not playing with that same group of guys. They had a really good chemistry um, on that Pistons team. But the, the strange part about it is the things that you notice about Chauncey were the things that made him great, I think, during the Pistons run. You know, they played in back-to-back finals, 1-1, um, uh, you know, and then came back the next year and, and lost to San Antonio. But that same style of play is what made him – the guy he was and what earned him that name, Mr. Big Shot, he would come down and pull up and shoot a three and you're saying to yourself, what's he thinking? And he would make them. You know, a lot of a lot of times those shots would be the daggers that the Pistons needed to put somebody away. How much of it do you think, Lang, is the, just father time whipping Chauncey right now, just him getting older and not being able to make some of the plays physically that he used to make? I'm sure that I'm sure that's part of it. I'm also sure it's partly um, playing a little bit out of position, you yeah. know, with the Clippers and uh, not having the ball in his hands as much as he's used to and trying to fit in. Um, and, you know, this shortened season, I mean, maybe if he knew like in uh, May that he was going to be playing two guard this year, <laughs> you know, then you have time to work on stuff like that. But, I mean, they're kind of learning on the fly. And you're seeing that all around the league. Offenses are kind of wacky all over the place, I think, that, that guys are kind of a – adjusting as they go and, and trying to figure this out um so to me i, I mean i i see jonah's point and I, and I to some extent i agree but i also don't think you know i think saying that chauncey billups is done like what else are you going to do if, i think he's about the best <laughs> option they have at the two uh, right now um so i don't know but jonah i have a question that's similar but but not really it's it's about business as we were talking about before you came on Seku was talking about how some of these teams now um, seem to be more willing to let a, a younger player become a restricted free agent and then kind of go out on the market and then see what they can kind of contract they get and come back to the team with it. Um, I know your book, The Extra 2%, was a lot about baseball and the business of baseball with the Tampa Bay Rays. Um, is that I, – I don't really know how to phrase this. Is that a way – that method of, of not really locking up a guy or overpaying a guy or whatever, is, is that something that's more in vogue now than it used to be? Or, or is that something that um, speaks to a team's uh, ability to kind of restrain themselves from overpaying when they don't have to? Yeah, I think there's a lot of things going on when you're talking about the NBA. First of all, you've got the shortened season, so I think it's an unusual time. And player X, who might make sense in the two-game season or over the next five years, might not now because you're trying to do something different. There are also all these teams in flux. Everybody with half a brain knows that the Celtics are tearing everything down. Everybody with half a brain knows that Dirk is probably going to be the only guy on Dallas next year, maybe Roddy, Roddy Pobla is the other guy. I mean, there are just some big changes going on. Nets are going to be different. I mean, Williams is gone. Howard probably won't be with the Magic, or let's say there's a chance that he won't be. So I think that we're also just in this weird inflection point where teams are trying to do the, you know, the three superstar thing. The, the Lakers obviously tried. The Knicks tried. Uh, the Heat are the only one that's been sort of successful, and obviously they didn't win the championship last year. So I just think there's a lot going on 
with the league in general. Now, having said that, I, I think that there is something to be said for just keeping your options open. If you want to sign a restricted free agent, you, I mean, you got to go max on this guy or whatever. It can be difficult. I like DeAndre Jordan. I think he might earn out that contract, but that's not a guarantee. You know, they, they really right. have to go high because Golden State wanted them too. And so that's one example. So I, I think you're just in a situation where maybe the league in general is just more cognizant of, of the limits that you have. And when you mentioned, uh, you know, I wrote about the Tampa Bay Rays, as much as the Rays overcame a lot when they, you know, they beat the Yankees and the Red Sox a couple times they got to the playoffs, it's easier in baseball in some ways. Even if you have a huge gap in payroll. In the NBA, you might not have a huge gap in payroll, but you have minor leagues in baseball. So you get high draft picks and you bring them up through the farm system and they cost you 400000 bucks for the first three years. You can't do that in the NBA. You can't stash guys. At best, you can keep them in Europe or something. So it's a different situation. And someone like Sam Presti, I mean, due respect to Andrew Friedman or whoever your favorite GM in baseball is, but Sam Presti is probably the best GM in all professional sports because it's impossible to stockpile young players in basketball, but that's exactly what he's done. He didn't overreact when they were becoming good, and now they have a chance to win the championship, and they're still under the cap. I mean, that's incredible. Yeah. Jonah, do you think that there's, a, there's kind of a change in general in the way business is going to be done in the NBA based on the new parameters of the of the – this new collective bargaining agreement we got, <clears throat> excuse me, or do you think that that's, that's going to sound good for a year or two and then it's kind of, you know, teams are going to figure out ways to, to do what they always do, and that's the, you know, the, the richest teams find ways to get their hands on the best players no matter what the rules are. Yeah, I mean, I think there's always that. It's, it's not just it comes from the teams, but it also comes from the players. I mean, if you're, listen, I'm not going to besmirch Indianapolis or Milwaukee <laughs> or whatever. They're, they're all fine cities. But, man, if I'm 24 years old and I'm a future superstar and I can live on the beach, you know, I would do that. Or pay lower taxes and, you know, in a particular state, I would do that. I mean, I think that this is all in play and there are always going to be desirable, more desirable markets. So the key is the way to overcome that if you're a team is you build such a great nucleus that you say, wow, you know, I, I never thought about living in Oklahoma. And no disrespect to Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. But, gee, I can play with Durant. I mean, that's amazing. I want to do that. And obviously San Antonio is the example of this, San Antonio is a fine city, but, you know, maybe you'd rather live in L.A. if you're a young guy. Maybe not. I don't know. But they were good for so long. So you've got Parker and Ginobili and, and, uh, and Duncan, and you could say, well, I'm, I'm player so-and-so. Maybe I'm not a superstar, but I'm a very good player, 31 years old. I can pick anywhere I want to go. I'm going to go there. So I think that that's the way to overcome this is I do agree with you, Sacred, that I think you're going to go back to business as usual, and, you know, Howard's going to pick his spot. He'll probably go to a, a – quote-unquote bigger market, and I assume D-Will will as well, and all this stuff is going to go down. So the only way to overcome that is you've got to build a great team and you've got to be very patient. And, you know, OKC is the example. Indiana's doing some interesting things, to be honest with you. I, I don't know that they're quite mm-hmm. ready. I don't know that they have enough really high-caliber players, but there are some little subtle things that they're starting to do which makes them interesting. I live here in Denver. They're not a bad team at all. They've got some good young talent. Uh, they haven't really made I guess they overextended themselves on that contract, but it's not too bad. You know, Melo's gone, and They've got some possibilities. If they were to cash in two or three of those young guys for one, you know, serious go-to player, they all of a sudden could become, a, you know, maybe a borderline title contender. So that's the best you can do: build a good team. You can't control your geography, but you can control how you spend your money. Right. We, well, one thing I wanted to ask you is: I think about a year ago, you and I were talking, and you were saying you were kind of getting more into basketball and the NBA, and you were watching it more. Um, what? And I know you've kind of. You could you have controlled your geography and you've kind of lived in different places and been all over. Is there a team you root for, Jonah? Or is there like I know you're originally from Montreal and there's no, there wasn't an NBA team there, but is there a team you rooted for as a kid or that you root for now? 
Yeah, I'm a Celtics fan. My dad was a Celtics fan of uh, you know the Russell era, and uh, he watched those teams and, and loved them. And uh, so when I was growing up, I mean, my dad was pretty hardcore, and I became hardcore. And I, I can remember uh, I was born in '74, so just to give you an idea. And so they would show games on tape delay back in the day, uh, like in the late '70s, because it just wasn't enough demand. So my dad would put this is true. My dad would put me to bed at 7:30 or real somewhere really early on a Friday night when I was like five years old wake me up at 11.30, and I would sit on his lap, and, and I'd take a sip of his beer or whatever, and he'd watch, I don't know, the Celtics and the whatever, maybe the Lakers, whoever was on TV, until, you know, 1 or 2 in the morning. This is what I did. This was a normal thing for me. So, I, I mean, I write about baseball professionally, but I was a basketball guy. The only sport that I ever played was basketball. I stink at every other sport. I'm not great at basketball, but I can kind of hold my own. Uh, I, I just, I really love those Celtics teams of the 80s, and, and uh that was always my club. I'm not quite as hardcore as I used to be for various reasons. I don't know, but I definitely followed the club, and uh, you know, I followed them through the Dino Raja years. I followed them through the final <laughs> getting KG and winning another title, and uh, I'll continue to do so now, even if they go through a rebuild. And Joel Anthony is still your favorite player. <laughs> Joel Anthony, Montreal native. That's right. He, uh, he does our hometown for. My dad used to play, uh, occasionally Bill Wennington would show up at the same park where uh, my dad would play pickup, so they've actually uh, gone toe-to-toe a little bit, although my dad is a, was a 6'1 point guard when he was uh, <laughs> growing up. Very good player, and Wennington obviously did, uh, cut from a slightly different cloth. Well, Jonah, I mean, if you're going to bash Chauncey Billups near the Park Hill neighborhood in Denver, um, you got to explain to us what in the world you did moving to Denver. I mean, did you just go, move out there strictly to, to badmouth Chauncey? or No. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and I don't, I've never met Chauncey, by the way, an individual. And he's, by the way, revered here in Denver. I was uh, I was looking up rec leagues. As soon as I got to town, I said, I got to find a rec league. And there are these, uh, on the same website where you say, okay, men's basketball, da, da, da. There's these kids camps, and it's the Chauncey Billups that and the Chauncey Billups this. So uh, he has a lot of respect here. No, my wife got a job out here is the reason that we moved out. Um, but I've told, I've said to my bosses at Grantland that, uh, I mean, the Nuggets are going to go to games, and, and certainly I'll pay attention, but I, I would love to do something with Tebow next year. And this wasn't the reason that I moved out, but to be on whatever the Tebow beat while I'm covering baseball, you know, while I'm doing my regular job, I think would be neat, but once a week to the game and uh, and just kind of get a feel for the phenomenon. I mean, because I think there was a one point you said, well, maybe he's a little bit of a statistical fluke or, or whatever, but, you know, a playoff game where he played where they, they uh, he looked pretty good. Uh, uh, there are just things that he's doing – pretty well and he might have some potential and obviously the cultural phenomenon is spectacular and so I come in as an unbiased observer I would love to be whatever Grant Lynn's Tebow guy (laughs) well I'll say this as a fan I mean as a guy who went to University of Georgia and is a Georgia fan um, I spent a lot of time hating on Tim Tebow before he even got to the NFL, um, yes. and he and he always killed us. Like he always, you know, people are like, "Oh, this guy wasn't very good in college. He's not. A, he's a terrible quarterback." And I'm like, "Well, he won a Heisman. He won two national titles. He's not terrible. He's just. No. I mean, he's just not a conventionally great quarterback." Hey, but before we let you go, I got one last thing. Um, a lot of teams in the NL East making a lot of moves. Are the Braves still in it for next year? Yeah, I think it is in play. Um, it's an interesting. Got I don't think the Phillies. I, I don't think the Phillies are going to be quite as good. Um, Oswald isn't a huge loss, but it is something. Obviously, Ryan Howard. That's that could be a major yeah. He could be out for a while. Some of the other guys are older. And the Marlins are good, but I don't think they're great. They didn't get Pujols, which would have potentially put them over the top. The Nationals, had they gotten Fielder, maybe that puts them in a different category. The Braves are right there. I think all four of those teams could potentially win. You know. 81 to 92 games. I think that's all in place. So I think it 
is possible, whether it's a division title or maybe a wild card. I will say this, though, and I've written about the Braves several times this offseason, and I don't like or dislike the Braves. I'm totally neutral. But I get very frustrated by teams that come up just short in terms of spending money or doing something aggressive. And uh, to be completely pretentious, the term that I use when I write about it is called harahachiku, which is a Japanese term that means I eat until I'm 80% full. It's what people in Okinawa do, and that's the reason they're skinny and they live to be 120 years old. It's a terrible thing to do if you're running a sports team because then where's the other 20%? I want my other 20%, and the Braves don't spend it. They don't spend it in the draft. They don't go after the big free agents. They don't do it. And I think that they have the wherewithal to. They just choose not to. And it bugs me because I think the division is there to be taken, but they might end up being two or three games short, which has happened quite a few times in the last few years. Yeah. Well, we won it 14 years in a row. <laughs> I know. I know. Oh, wait a minute. No, you didn't win it 14 years in a row. You won it 14 out of 15 years is what you did. De- define it, nice, nice Lang. Before. We won the, uh, the the pennant, the division. Well, Jonah and I had a little argument about this a while ago about how, you know, the Braves won it for 14 years in a row. I said, and, and Jonah pointed out there there was the strike year, um, and the and his team, the Expos, were actually in first place at the time. Um, but as I my argument is that there was a strike, so nobody won the division. There was no there was no division to be won. There was no World Series. There was nothing. So. Uh, you know, it's all semantics, but <laughs> let me put it to you this way, Lang. Okay. You still get to root for a fun team and you have the other clubs in the Atlanta area and you wrote a really cool book about Bobby Cox. That's all great. I got nothing, man. My team is dead. <laughs> I don't have a baseball team anymore. They're dead. So just grant me this one thing. Say 14 out of 15, humor me. And then when I get out of the air, you can say whatever you want. <laughs> I will. But you know, I think now after the, after the extra 2%, I, I feel like, the extra 20% could be the uh, – or the remaining 20% could be the next book. It might be, except that I'm actually writing a book about those expos uh, right now as we speak. It's coming out in spring 2014. That's my next project. It's a little weird because it's a team that's, just, that's defunct. I'm not sure anybody's going to read it. But, yeah. I mean, heck, I've already talked to, you know, cool guys like Tim Raines and Cliff Floyd and Tim Wallach and the former owner. And I've got about 200 interviews lined up to do this thing. So uh, I think it'll be a lot of fun. Even if you don't know that much about the team or care that much about the team, It'll be some serious history. You know, pick your whatever. If you were a big Brewers man and someone write everything that ever happened to the Brewers, this is what this book is going to be. So, yeah. <laughs> it sounds great. Hey, well, Jonah, I appreciate you taking the time, and uh, we'll have you back on soon. We can talk more basketball uh, once, once you get settled out there in, in, um, in Billupsville. Exactly, man. Thanks, Jonah. Pleasure, guys. I'm a big fan of both of the show. <laughs> Thanks, man. Lang, you, uh, I, I, it's just dawning on me. Do you argue with everyone you know? No. Do you always carry on these arguments with people? Like everybody we talk to that you know, and and we've been arguing for what seven years? <laughs> like we've had an ongoing argument about something or other for seven years. Like uh, the fact that Luke blocked Blake Griffin the other night, and you know like he couldn't get any love from you for blocking that alley oop attempt the other night. <laughs> the foul they didn't call it was not a. Michael, did, did anybody else see this? Jarrell, did you see it? Did anybody see Luke Ridenour sky and swat a Blake Griffin alley-oop attempt out of the air? I'm just checking to see if anybody. I put it on Twitter. Lang tried to ignore it like it didn't really happen, but I have footage. I saw it happen. I was watching the game, and I, and I saw Griffin come down and immediately turn to the referee. <laughs> and on the replay, Luke seemed to get more arm than he did ball. I'll just it, say that. It was all ball, baby. All ball. Uh, but no, I don't argue with everybody. But just about. Yeah, just just with you mostly. Um, 
<laughs> but there's been a big argument going on the last couple of weeks now in the NBA about um, Blake Griffin versus Kevin Love. One of my favorite arguments to have. And, and, uh, and the, the, the smoothest thing about it, Lang, is we got an expert on now to help us sort through this thing. Um, Matt Harpering, you, you probably remember him from his time in the NBA, obviously, with the Utah Jazz. He's now doing color commentary for the Jazz, as well as you've seen him on NBA TV's airwaves. Uh, we should have gotten him in here a long time ago, but this we'll take it when we can get it. Matt, how you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good. I'm not an expert. I know. I leave that to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I, also, I also have to say, I remember Matt from when I was a student at University of Georgia, and he was killing us. I was going to say, was he steamrolling your, your dogs back then? <laughs> yes. That's when Georgia used to be pretty good, too. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I wish, you, I wish you didn't have to use the past tense there, Matt. Um, <laughs> Um, but hey, we were. What, what's your take on this whole Griffin Love thing? Which guy? Let's say you're starting a franchise. Which of the two guys would, would you take to start your franchise with? That's such a loaded question. Uh, yeah. If I had to pick one, um, I'd probably go with Blake Griffin. Um, and the reason for that is, I just think he he's got the chance to be one of these uh, players of a lifetime, you know, one of these once-in-a-generation type players. And, I, and, and don't get me wrong, Kevin Love is, is a terrific player as well, but I just see so much potential in Blake, and he's so good already, and he's just now figuring out the game. I, I don't even know if he's totally figured it out yet. And when he uses his athletic ability and when he figures out that defense means a lot as well, and that's how you're going to win games, when he uses that athletic ability on the defensive mm-hmm. end, that's when I think his game's really going to grow. Because if you look at Blake right now, he's not a great shot blocker, but he could be. He's not a great defender, but he really could be. Um, So I see potential more in Blake uh, than I do in Kevin. Matt, Mm -hmm. it's interesting we talk about these two guys, and normally you get a young guy at that position. It's rare that he's going to be playing with the the one thing that everybody says you need to make you better, a a great point guard. Well, Blake gets Chris Paul. Kevin yeah. Love gets Ricky Rubio, who could be a, a great point guard in this league. Is, is there a better scenario for either one of these guys, you think, at this stage of their careers to be, to grow alongside that sort of player at such a pivotal position? At this stage, you know, maybe if you went with uh, Darren Williams, you mm-hmm. know, with one of them got locked up with those two. But CP3 and then you got a, a young Rubio. I think Kevin Love stays and, and kind of grows with Rubio, I think that would be terrific for him. They can almost develop a Stockton to Malone-ish mm-hmm. type of relationship mm-hmm. if, if they stay in Minnesota for years to come. Um, and same with Griffin and, and CP3. And uh, So it, it's nice to be paired up with a good point guard, but it's even better to be paired up with a young good point guard when you're young as well. Matt, how much when like when you came into the league? How much does it help to if you're a younger guy like Griffin or Love to have an older guy there to kind of tutor you? Um, you know, maybe another power forward who's been around for a while. Uh, is that something that can speed up your development, or, or is that yeah, something for myself that can kind personally? Of just... And granted, for myself personally, and granted, I wasn't as good as neither Kevin Love or, or Griffin. Um, but I, I always loved having veterans around. Um, you know, when I came in as a rookie, I had a Horace Grant, Danny Shays, Nick Anderson, Penny Hardaway. I had a team in Orlando that was all veterans. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'd learned so much. It's just not about the game. You, yeah, you pick up some little things on the court, um, but it's off the court. It's things that uh, you have to get used to the NBA lifestyle, how to take care of your body, what foods to eat, um, how to work out, 
uh, it's all different when you cross that college line to go to the NBA. And um, so I think that benefits them more, um, I would say, off the court than on the court as far as uh, having the veteran around. Matt, for, for a long time, and, and certainly during your you know, career, there was this knock on young players that, well, they didn't understand how to work. They didn't understand what, what it was going to take to be great. To me, Griffin and Love kind of defy that idea that, that young guys don't understand the kind of work that has to go into trying to become great players. Do you see that? I mean, are they, are they rare cases, or have you seen that maybe in some of this younger generation? And I'm talking about guys like Derrick Rose as well, Durant. Do you see yeah. kind of a change in that generation of players maybe that, that wasn't there with the, the Marbury generation and those guys that maybe yeah. came in in between? Well, I think the the other thing is when you heard that back in the day, it's usually coming from the old guys who don't want the young guys to take their jobs. <laughs> right. You know, so you get the older guys speaking out. These guys aren't ready to play. Well, yeah, they are. They're just uh, they just need a little bit more experience. But you can just tell, um, like when guys hit training camp and they're young, uh, the potential that they have in this league. And and I think, you know, it's just some experience you get is you have to have in-game NBA experience. And, and and that you cannot duplicate. And I think with these guys are playing a lot of minutes, they were young, and they get a lot of time on the floor. It, it, that's why I think you're seeing such good play for them so soon. A lot of guys, and it used to be back in the day, young guys didn't play much, and they got, you know, five, six minutes a game, or they didn't play the next game. And then, you know, you, you kind of got your time in practice. Practice time versus game time, two different ways to – to grow as a player. And I think the young guys are becoming better and better because they're getting, like I said, more time on the court in a real live game than they used to. Mm-hmm. Matt, uh, tell us about the Utah Jazz this season. I know a lot of people weren't talking about them coming into this season, and uh, we were, Sekou and I were talking earlier about how all of a sudden they're sitting there right in the thick of the playoff race. How are they doing this, and, and, and should, is this something that's going to continue throughout the year, or are they just kind of hot right now? Well, they're hot right now. They have a couple factors that are, are going for them right now. One is the injury bug really hasn't hit them. Um, they, they've been pretty healthy all year. And two, they're playing January at home. Um, their schedule favors them right now. The schedule is going to catch up to them in another month or so when they start having a bunch of road games, just like you know, it's going to balance everyone else out in the league as well. So they're doing what they're supposed to because if you do want to be a playoff team, you've got to take care of home. You've got to win the home games. So they're doing that. They're surprising some teams uh, because they're beating teams on home. Um, but on the other side, in this 66-game ski- season, you're getting a lot of teams that are on back-to-backs that are coming in, and um, and you we're seeing that a lot recently. Not to say that the Jazz wouldn't beat them if they weren't on a back-to-back, but it certainly helps when you get a tired team coming in as well. But I think what you see with the Jazz is I think the record's a little bit better than what they are right now. Um, but I do consider them a playoff team. Mm. Matt, if we had to pick one guy <clears throat> off that roster to to throw in the all-star discussion, which which guy would it be from the Jazz roster? Millsap. Yeah. Uh, and I like Al Jefferson's numbers, and, and he's done great this year. There's no question about it. Um, but if you, if you watch the games every night like I do, the heart and soul of this team is Millsap. And he's the guy that's in crunch time that comes up with huge buckets. He's the guy that uh, defensively goes against the best, you know, other person's four or five man and, and, and really has done really well. I mean, you look at his last three matchups. He went against Dirk Nowitzki, Blake Griffin, and Kevin Love. 
and he outplayed all three of those guys um, in the last three games. So, you know, I kind of look at all-stars in this league, how you do versus other all-stars when you play, mm-hmm. and uh, that's why i got to consider Millsap up there because he's outplaying other all-stars. And I know you, the Jazz also have a lot of really talented younger guys. Like I was out in Vegas this summer, and I saw this guy jumping out of the gym, and it was Jeremy Evans. Um, yeah. Between him, Favors, those guys, I mean – do you think these guys, is this the foundation of this franchise for the next, you know, five, ten years? Yeah, you know, Jeremy Evans is one of these guys. I'm, I'm trying to make a campaign to get him in the dunk contest. I think <laughs> yes. you see some awesome dunks from him. Um, but you look at a guy named Ennis Cantor. He was our third pick of the draft. Uh, he's 19 years old. Uh, this guy's got a bright future. You can see his footwork's great in the post. Um but he's a big, and bigs are hard to come by in the NBA. And then you got Favors, who was the third pick in the draft last year, who is backing up a Millsap and a Jefferson, is learning the ropes, and is playing extremely well, too. So they're just loaded. They're really deep at that at the four and five position. Um, and then the wings, you go out to a Gordon Hayward, who, who's young, second-year player, uh, mixed in with a Roger Bell, who's been in the NBA now 12 years. Uh, Earl Watson is a backup point guard to Harris. So that they have a good mixture on this team of young and old. And right. uh, which, you know, when you're when you're in a city like Utah, you kind of you kind of have to have that because uh, these fans expect winning every year, and and they just you can't go through these years of a couple of years of have, having twenty win seasons. Matt is the, is the toughest <clears throat> choice coming down the line for Kevin O'Connor. We, you know, we started out talking about power forwards. Um, is it going to be deciding how you sort out that rotation up front? Because you can't. You mentioned all those guys. Right. Three or four years from now, you're not, it's, it's going to be tough to try and keep all of them. I mean, do you have right. to make some decisions based on how they work and how they play at, you know, the next few years on who stays and who goes? Well, you have to, and, and money's going to come down to it because once these guys are up for a restricted free agency or free agency, they're going to get other teams that are going to obviously pay them money. And so you're going to those are when the decisions are going to be made. Um, and then it's, you know, with the way the salary cap is scheduled, you know, you can only pay so many people. Um, so I, I think right now they're in a great spot. A year from now, uh, two years from now, it might get a little uh, crazy if they keep everyone they got right now because you're right. You can't keep playing Derek Favors, who I think is a potential all-star in this league, 15 to 20 minutes a night. I mean, right. he's got he's to get into the 35-minute range. Um, so it's going to be interesting. I'm glad I'm not, I'm not wearing that cap right now. <laughs> right now. Right now. Right. Well, nah, yeah, well, yeah, now, ever, whatever. <laughs> well, listen, man, we appreciate you coming on so much, Matt. It's uh, good to see you the next time I see you on the set here uh, right. on NBA TV, man. And take care out there. Hey, let, we Seku, I think, Seku, we need to pick up the torch on this Jeremy Evans dunk Oh, don't tip. worry. We got that. We got that. I'm we, telling you. I'm telling you. I've seen some things. that It, it would blow this world. Yeah, we, we we tried last year, and, and we were rebuffed. We couldn't get Josh yeah. McRoberts in there, but we are going to pick up the Jeremy Evans. Uh, no, Josh know, McRoberts, play. yeah, I, I would agree with the world on that one. I, I wouldn't put Josh in there, but I would agree with <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, listen, we appreciate right. you, Matt. All right, Thanks, take care. All right, bye-bye. No love for Josh McRoberts. I don't know. You know he, was, he was last year's uh, – Dunk champion on the Hangtime podcast. We we were hyping him up when nobody else was, but the people's choice. The people's choice, baby. But yeah, <laughs> the, the Jeremy Evans, Jeff Case, who uh, everybody knows is the the prime minister, as I like to call him, uh, works 
with us here at NBA.com. He and I have had some some long conversations about Jeremy Evans and the fact that there's always two or three dudes around the league, Lang, who are just nasty above the rim dunkers. And and you hope people have league pass so they can watch them and catch them, yeah. you know. Uh, certainly if a, if a guy's out west doing it, um, you know, it'll be curious. I'll be curious to see how the Jazz in the next couple of years iron out those that rotation and, and that that roster in the front court because they got a lot of bodies. You know, he meant, Matt mentioned Cantor, Favors, yep. Millsaps, Al Jefferson. All four of those guys right there, that's four guys in two years, should all be starting for somebody. I mean, they moved uh, Memo Okur and, yeah. and haven't really lost, you know, haven't really lost a beat from that. Um, as I kind of said, you know, we were I was out in Vegas this summer at the Impact Basketball. Michael Lee was sitting there with me. Um, and we were, we were watching and we were like, who is this guy? This guy's like crazy dunks and jumping through the rim. And we, we couldn't believe it. And then we, you know, we finally saw his Jersey. He could get his number and we we're like, Jeremy Evans. And, then, and, I, and we were, so we went up and talked to him after one of the games and he was like, yeah, you know, I'm just, I'm just working really hard. He, he's skinny, yeah, but, uh, um, he's crazy athletic and it was so much fun to watch. So, I mean, I, I like watching the jazz games now just to see if Evans gets in there at the end of the games, if they're ahead big or down big and see if he gets some playing time, just cause you never know if he, if he catches a ball, um, he might jump over somebody and dunk it. <laughs> I know that's a, it's a, it's a strange, <clears throat> uh, distinction to have, you know, you're to be an NBA player and everybody sits around waiting to see if you can get in the game and get a dunk. I mean, and, and I feel <laughs> bad for those guys sometimes because they want to be, complete players and they want to do all this other stuff and sure. all anybody ever wants to see do, see him do is dunk. So <laughs> very interesting though that 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 jazz situation a lot of stuff going on. Before we take another step, I got I'm I've been meaning to ask you guys opinion about this and I, I I can't forget. Bruce Bowen gets his jersey retired in San Antonio. Surprise anybody at all? I I know certainly for myself I was surprised when I heard it the other day. I thought, "Man, Bowen was a great, you know, great piece." On, on a great, great team. But when I think of Jersey retired, you know, Jersey retired, I never would have imagined Bruce Bowen from that Spurs era would be one of the guys getting his Jersey retired. And I'm curious, does, does that startle either one of you? I'm not startled by it. I, I was a little surprised, but not completely. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I thought it was kind of cool to see a guy who was mainly known for being a stopper, like a wing defensive player get recognized that way. Um, and I also think, you know, that's that's the kind of thing that the Jersey retirement thing is all relative to the city you play in the and, and the yep. way, yeah, you know, and the way you're valued in that place. Yeah. Um, and so to me, that's the kind of thing where you don't really, you know, if 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 Bruce Bowen had played for the Lakers, I don't know that they would have retired his jersey, but yeah. in San Antonio, what he meant, you know, I think Popovich said, you know, we couldn't have done the things he, we did without him or something like that, like. Right. You know, they valued him a lot. The people loved him in San Antonio, and you know, it, I don't, I haven't heard any big human cry from people in San Antonio upset about it. <laughs> I, I agree with Lang. I think that uh, you know, it's just, it seems like it fits better in San Antonio for a guy like him to get his jersey retired than you know, if he were in other cities or similar type players for other teams. I was hoping that they'd retire his bow tie. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm I'm just curious. The reason I bring it up is because where is Robert Ory's jersey retired anywhere? And if not, mm-hmm. certainly somebody's got to retire his jersey, don't they? 
I mean, he's got it because he's not going to get in the Hall of Fame, you know. Um, but he's gonna he's gonna get into his wonder years with more rings than almost anybody not named Russell or one of those old Celtics. I mean, I, I have a tribute to him on the All Ball. Blog. I know I mean, you, you're like the only person who shows right? him love. Yeah, I I or I love Ori. He's one of the coolest guys to talk to. We always talk SEC football, basketball when I see him. Um, he's a big Alabama fan, but. Uh, I think if his jersey doesn't get retired by anyone, he's got enough rings. To <laughs> he's make got the rings to make okay himself feel that. like he can go to sleep at night with his rings and not worry about his yeah. jersey hanging from somewhere. Yeah, it, I think so. Yeah, we we had a 3D and Bones and I. We were all talking about it the other day, and Jerry Greenberg on the on the set at the Jump the other day. We were talking about jerseys retired. You know, and there are traditions for retiring jerseys. Like I I, I was in Chapel Hill one time at at the uh, Dean Smith Center, and I didn't realize that if you made any all-American team while you played at Carolina, you got your jersey retired. Like, literally, if you make the Slam Magazine first-team All-American <laughs> in North Carolina, you're getting the jersey hanging from the rafters, which uh, to me is pretty smooth, you know, um, because it at least recognizes your your accomplishment, whatever it might be or for however long it might be. But you don't walk in the NBA arenas and, and look up and see tons of jerseys hanging. You know, that's a... I, in that's a way, very, I like, that's, a, that's a that's a very you know specific group that that make that. I kind of like that as a as a as a like a static rule there because you now you know exactly what you have to do to get your jersey retired. You know what I mean? It's not like like the Hall of Fame is still sort of this mysterious thing. Like there's no real written down rule that if you score X amount of points and get you know Y amount of rebounds, you will definitely get into the Hall of Fame. Um, but at least there, you know, and that, again, this is that's this speaks to the, the way it's done differently in every city. But at UNC, if you do this, you're in, and it's kind of like a, um, something you can at least aspire to or work toward. Yeah, you guys are talking about Robert Ori. I have to ask. I'm sure you both saw. Obviously, the quote he came out with the other day talking about the uh, Shaq and Kobe feud, which for some reason will just never die. <laughs> uh, but he's saying, you know, he thinks that Phil Jackson kind of, you know made it out to more than it was. I've always had a theory. I'm curious if you guys think I'm crazy, but those Lakers teams were so good. I just kind of got the sense that they were bored. And so they made all this stuff up just to give them something to, you know, entertain themselves with. I, I kind of, I'm almost in agreement with Ori that, that they weren't really at each other's throats that much when they were teammates, but uh, am I crazy? I don't know if you're crazy, but I certainly think you need to see a, a therapist. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you this, uh, and and I'm I don't want to speak out of turn, but the night the night the Lakers lost to the Pistons and that ended that NBA Finals, yep. I rode back from the arena to the Troy Marriott with Tim Brown and Lang. I don't know if you remember Tim Brown; he used to cover the Lakers for the for the LA Times. Yeah, no, he's a Yahoo. Yeah, it was his Tennis last. Baseball. It was his last game covering the Lakers beat, and he had been grinding on that thing since before, you know, the whole before Phil and before you know before the thing got to that point. And I will never forget. I, I've told this story three or four times. I'll never forget the look on his face as we were driving down the freeway. He looked like the happiest man I'd ever seen in my life, and I'm thinking. Man, it, was it that bad? Like, I, I asked him, I said, Tim, was it that bad? You know, and he shot me a look and was like, you have absolutely no idea how much <laughs> trauma these guys 
put the people around him through. You know, so I think this this notion that that Kobe and Shaq were were putting on this big ruse for everybody is probably a little uh I don't the the word naive is strong, but I think it's probably a little foolish of us to assume that they could have made all this up just for somebody's amusement. And that doesn't mean that they they you know they want to break each other's necks every time they they see each other. But I could see a genuine rivalry that crosses the line into this the the beef quote unquote beef that they had as young players. It, it's tough to when you're that driven, that confident in your own abilities, that accomplished even at those young ages, to not want to share that with another guy who you might think. And and this is what I think. I think both of them acted the way they did because they realized they were on each other's level in terms of these are two of the greatest players to ever play. They didn't want to share. And I, and I'm, maybe that's what drove them. You know, maybe that's what kept them on edge. I I don't, I don't think that it was fake. I'll say that. (laughs) So Um, what you're saying is Mike is crazy. Listen, Shaq is clever. I'm just saying. (laughs) I think there was too much, was in movies. Um, He's got a lot of Hollywood connections. I'm sure, there know? was a little too much vitriol for it to be fake. And yeah. and it look, if it was fake, it, it's been going on a long time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like that's you how guys dedicated did a really they good are. Job. Micah probably thinks we didn't land on the moon either. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah it can't be proved. Yeah. <laughs> I, I will say this though about both Kobe and Shaq is they've handled it much better than I thought they would in these later years because there was a time when I thought, man, these dudes are going to have to fight every time they see each other. They got, you know, right when, remember when Shaq left and went to Miami? Yeah. And it was like every chance either one of them got to, to take a dig at the other one, something came out, but they've handled it really much better than I thought they would at this stage. And, uh, I imagine years from now, we'll see them doing interviews and stuff where they look back on it and realize, you know, maybe this thing did get blown out of proportion, you know, uh, from what it initially was, which was two young guys being super competitive and uh, and both wanting to be the man uh, on a on a championship team, basically, you know, for the for the bulk of the time they played together. Shaq talked about this the other day, and I, I don't remember I don't remember if it was on Inside the NBA or if it was on NBA TV on the um, mm-hmm. I'm totally on blanking that, uh, the name of the show with all the with all the open guys court. sitting around open court, open court. Yeah. and they asked him what the relationship was like. And he said, now it's like, he said, if he sees Kobe or, or the kid or Kobe's kids or, you know, he's uncle Shaq and, and they have a good relationship. Um, and they were able to kind of get past all that. Um, but I do think at the time it was very real. I, I, I did a story. I remember I went out to LA it must have been like 2002 or one when all that was kind of just starting to, to pop off. And yeah. I talked to Shaq and, and he was, um, he's, he's, <laughs> he had one of the greatest quotes. I remember I said something about who, who's, uh, who's the man on this. Uh, and he, and, and he said, I'm too big to ride in the backseat of anyone else's car. <laughs> well, I, it's weird. I was, I was at Shaq's house that the day of his retirement party. And the in that soundbite you're talking about might have been from that day. Three D was doing a, a sit down with him in, in like in Shaq's media room and uh he asked the Kobe question. It was one of the first questions he asked. I stuck it up on the blog the other day. It's, it was on the post about Ori's uh, Ori's uh assertion that this thing was, you know, 
more fabricated than anything else. And I thought his answer that day, the day he retired that he gave the 3D was as good and genuine an answer as I've heard. And it's along those same lines, you know, um, you know, Micah, I, I won't call you totally crazy, but you are definitely in the conspiracy theory mode. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure you're going to walk out of here and be looking over your shoulder every two seconds or whatever. Not crazy, but but on the path, my friend. On the path. I just want to say that I thought what Jonah was talking about, having uh, waking his kid up at 1130 at night to watch uh, to watch <laughs> games, I am absolutely on board with that. <laughs> Listen, I've seen I've seen your handiwork with the kid with with baby heart. You you don't need any assistance in in uh, dispensing the craziness. I don't know if you've seen it, Lane. You got to check it out. He, this just <laughs> Mike has got issues, man. Mike has got problems, man. We got to get him some help. <laughs> uh, well, we we need to absolutely thank our guest today, uh, Jonah Carey, uh, writer for Grantland, uh, host of his own podcast, by the way. Um, it was fantastic. First time I had a chance to talk to him. Um, you know, Lang, as always, has interesting friends. I don't know why they're friends with him half the time. Um, <laughs> and and I include myself in that group. Uh, Matt Harpering, uh, color commentator for the Utah Jazz, and you've seen his face on NBA TV, coming on to help us chop up the whole Blake Griffin-Kevin Love debate, which I'm assuming we'll revisit that in the coming weeks, all-star coming up. If both those guys don't get on, I'll be stunned. So, you know, maybe not then, but, but I almost feel bad again. We, we had the discussion and didn't even mention LaMarcus Aldridge, who I'm sure that his legion of fans will be alerting us to our folly. And, uh, so we may have to revisit it sooner rather than later, but, uh, Lang all-star is coming up. So we'll definitely get to yapping about all-star in the, in the in coming podcast. But uh, get out to the arena and see the Knicks and, and the Mike D'Antoni-led Knicks here in the next few days because I'm not sure how much longer it's going to last. I want to make sure somebody's there to record the action. Well, I think it's I think it's funny that <laughs> there's a lot of talk about Carmelo last night. You know, he only made one field goal. I mean, no field goals. <laughs> uh, uh, over seven from the field, one point. Um, the Knicks won by 30 points. You know, <laughs> they, I mean, as poorly as he played for once, they actually looked pretty good. They, the bench played really, really well. They got a lot of points from all those different guys. Um, Landry Fields had a big game. Stoudemire looked pretty good, was very active. Um, and, and, you know, Tyson Chandler really, no one really talking, everybody talking about Carmelo to one point, Tyson Chandler had 20 and 17. Um, so I, I think, there was some growth there last night, and I think as, as, as Carmelo kind of – right now he kind of looks like he's a little bit lost, but if he kind of can find his way into this thing, um, it, it's not the worst thing in the world. And I still think if I'm a team, I'd rather have Carmelo Anthony and Amari Stoudemire than not have the two of them. Oh, without question, without question. I was I was making a you know an evil joke about the Knicks. I, I'm not as ready to push panic buttons about what they got going on as some other people are. Um Right, but I, you know, I I didn't like the idea that Carmelo would stand there and take the heat and and be the guy that says, you know, this is all maybe it's on me and maybe I need to stop shooting. Then he goes out and doesn't shoot, shoot great, and they win big. So it's like, uh, you know, it's a little. Uh, I think yeah. it's a little misleading. I, I I think if you want to win big in this league, history has shown us that you need to have a Carmelo Anthony on your team as opposed to him not being on your team. Uh, yeah. You know, and, and, and time will tell. 
So, anyway. Hey, yep. at some point, though, maybe next week, can we talk about the Hawks on here? You think? You think we mention them every podcast? I mean, dude, we talked about the Braves today on the Hangout <laughs> Podcast. You, I, don't, I, I, I didn't say the Braves. <laughs> you didn't bring it up, but we talked. Or well, maybe you did bring I it did up. Bring it up I did bring it up. I don't want to talk about the Braves next week. I'd like to talk about a team that's gone 6-1 since Al Horford got injured. Yeah. And, uh, I think, I think looked, somebody wrote that not to write them off if if he get you know after he got hurt. I don't know who that was. I said it on Twitter, oh, definitely. Okay. All right. It wasn't me. I uh, said write them off. I, yeah, I don't think. <laughs> well, a bunch of people on Twitter were like, as soon as it you know the word broke out, he was out for a while. We're like, is, is this it? Do you pull the trigger now and try to rebuild and make trades? And I was like, look, this season's crazy enough as it is. I, I think you could probably get by with Collins and Zaza. You know, as long as Josh and Joe step it up a little bit. Um, and they've looked pretty good, like, <laughs> you know, these last seven games. I, I think they've looked pretty good. Tonight's going to be a tough one against the Spurs at San Antonio, and I think they haven't won there in something like – Hadn't won there since uh, you were in high school or something ridiculous. Probably. So, I, I, I you know, behind Rich is coming back, and, and they're getting some players. I, I think they're going to be okay. Yeah. It, all I know is it was written when it happened that, you know, and it wasn't like it was some love letter. It was definitely a, hey, you can't – you can't pretend pretend to predict crazy, so don't try and figure out what this team's gonna do without <laughs> Horford going down. But uh, I will I will promise you, if if they if they're standing where the you know still standing after this five game road trip, we're talking Hawks next week just to make you and Michael feel better. <laughs> is that I, I mean I'll, I'll go on record. Is that good? Uh, we got it on tape. All right, there it is. <laughs> Hangtime podcast. Thanks for joining us as always. We shall see you next time. Later. Thanks for listening to the Hang Time Podcast. To download more episodes of the show, visit the iTunes Music Store. Be sure to check out the Hang Time blog on NBA.com. And for more of Lang, visit SlamOnline.com. You can follow Seku and Lang on Twitter at SekuSmithNBA and Lang with her. The Smyrna Spartans have yet to get on Twitter, but we'll let you know when they do. 